0: Hi right, guys, today we've got a return guest on the podcast. His name is Justin Brierly. So Justin is the host of Unbelievable. That's a radio show and podcast on Premier Christian Radio in the UK. He's the author of the book, Unbelievable, Why After 10 Years of Talking with Atheists, I'm Still a Christian. And he was on our podcast on episode 189. So you guys can check that out as well. So in this podcast, we spent about half the time, really the beginning part, on this thing that they're doing over there with Premier Christian Radio, which is called The Big Conversation. So these they bring these individuals, usually a Christian and usually an atheist, to talk about these big topics. And so we had Francis Collins actually opposite Richard Dawkins. And so we really, really dig into that because Richard Dawkins kind of admits that there is a pathway to convince him that a God could exist right and it was it was a stunning admission so we talked about that but also Justin's got a book that he's going to be writing that's going to be coming out next summer and it's about the meaning crisis in our culture so we talked about that a little bit and then I also got into it with him not got into it with him it was obviously a very very polite conversation but towards the end I was able to ask some questions that I wasn't able to get to during our first interview and I asked him a question about specifically why he had this debate on his show where there was a transgender person so a male that thinks he's female and then a Christian pastor and how he and the the Christian pastor used feminine pronouns when referring to this man on the interview and how that was just shocking to me that people that are Christians that you know are supposed to be about truth and all these different things and so I asked him about that and again it was a very very cordial conversation he wasn't mad about it he was actually appreciative as soon as the you know the interview ended that I pushed him so hard on that but I really did appreciate his answer even though I did come away vehemently disagreeing with his position and we talked about a few other things in the podcast as well but I'm not going to keep him from you any longer so guys without further ado let's get into it. Justin Brierly, welcome back to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast.
1: Oh, thank you, Carl. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you again.
0: I'm just glad that I didn't say anything that make you, made you too mad the last time that uh, we were. <laughs> I was on your show or you were on my show. Because, you know, every time I talk to somebody with a British accent, I feel like I really have to mind my P's and Q's and make sure that I'm pronouncing things correctly. Uh, but you were just telling me off air and I went ahead and hit record. You guys have a new podcast out that actually yeah. sounds really awesome. So I'll just tee you up. You talk about the yeah. new podcast you guys uh, have.
1: Unapologetic from Premier, Unbelievable is the new podcast. It's, it's basically a weekly show where uh, I sit down with a thinker uh, to talk through some particular issue around Christian faith, evangelism, theology. Uh, so we just started it up just literally two weeks ago. And uh, yeah, we, we're really excited about it. We've got some big, big people, big names coming on it. John Lennox, uh, plus some really interesting guests, you know, across the kind of apologetic science and faith. And, and so, yeah, unapologetic. We call it unapologetic because... It's about apologetics, but we're not sorry about the Christian faith. We believe the good news of Jesus is worth sharing. And it's just its just about giving Christians the confidence to do that. So that's, that's what it's all about.
0: That's excellent. We'll make sure that we link to that in the show notes, guys. I mean, everything that you all put out is, you could tell that it's been thought through and that you're really putting full effort into it. So I'm sure that'll just be another great offering from you and everybody else. And guys, if you're listening to this on time, We're right in the middle of another one of those great offerings. And that's the big conversation. We're actually right in the middle of season four. Again, if you're listening to this on time. So first of all, congrats on the fourth season of this, by the way, that's pretty awesome. But for those in the audience that are actually unfamiliar with the big conversation, kind of give us a 30,000 foot view of that.
1: Well, look, it started back in 2018, and uh, we got together with the Templeton Foundation in the US, who are a kind of grant-making body. They help people to think through the big questions of science, faith, and philosophy. And uh, with their help, we were able to bring some really big thinkers together in a video studio for the first time. It was really when we launched our YouTube channel through The Big Conversation. The very first guests I had for the very first show were Jordan Peterson and Susan Blackmore. Susan Blackmore is an atheist psychologist. Jordan Peterson probably needs no introduction for your audience Kyle, but a well-known Canadian clinical psychologist who was just on the cusp of going absolutely stellar at the point where I managed to to <clears throat> land him. Uh, and so so yeah, th- from that point we've just seen the series really blossom um, loads of really great thinkers who we've had on from both sides of the, you know, uh, of the fence. So lots of significant atheist people like Steven Pinker, Daniel Dennett, uh, Richard Dawkins has just, you know, come on the latest series opposite some big Christian thinkers as well. So opposite people like John Lennox and N.T. Wright and Francis Collins and and others. So, yeah, we're excited about this new season, um, which is all about tackling the big questions with big thinkers, um, starting on the kind of whole science and faith thing. But we've got an episode coming up on the uh, consciousness and the mind. We've got an episode on conversion. We've got Michaela Peterson, interestingly, this season is going to be one of our guests. She's obviously the daughter of Jordan. And uh, yeah, so we've got some really interesting um, dialogues and uh, pairings coming up.
0: Yeah, I actually want to read through uh, some of these names and I don't know how to pronounce them all perfectly. So they'll <laughs> always, they'll sound better. Feel free to hop in and connect me. But June 3rd, Rowan Williams and Paul, uh, King's North, Kings uh, North Conversion. Yeah. King's North, Conversion, Culture, and the Cross. June 17th, Ian McGillchrist and Sharon Dirks. Uh, is there a master behind our minds? And that's actually uh, from a live event that's being filmed at right. Unbelievable, the conference in May. July the 1st, Graham Opie and-
1: uh, Guillaume Bignon It's Gil- a French name. Uh, he's got a great story. He's a He was converted as an adult. He was an, a French atheist, and he's got the most extraordinary conversion story, both an intellectual and experiential journey. He's opposite Graham Opie, who's one of the best known uh, atheist philosophers in the world, he's from Australia, so that's that's going to be a great conversation.
0: Yeah, they'll be talking about rationality, religious experience, and the case for God. And then as you mentioned, on July the 12th, Michaela Peterson, Jordan Peterson's daughter, and John McRae are millennials and Gen Z ready to believe in God. That is actually a free live online event. So guys, there is a link in the show notes to where you can go and check that out. Make sure you register for that. And July the 15th, Lord Martin Reese and John Wyatt, robots, transhumanism, and life beyond Earth. Now, you're probably thinking that I missed one, but I didn't. I'm just teeing it up here at the end. On (laughs) May the 20th, you kicked off season four with an absolute... Banger. So, highly respected scientist Francis Collins debated noted atheist, as you just talked about, Richard Dawkins. And this is actually Richard Dawkins's first substantial debate in 10 years with a Christian mm. academic on the existence of God. And so how did you guys pull off uh, getting these two together? And then I, I was a little disappointed that they weren't in the same room. I would have loved to have ah, seen these guys yeah. breathing on one another. So yeah. why wasn't it done in person?
1: <laughs> well, just because they're both busy guys, and Francis Collins' schedule just didn't allow him to come to the UK. Uh, so, uh, so we we decided to do it, you know, remotely, as as so many things are done like this. Um, uh, but, but it was still a really good discussion, actually. I, I mean, I always prefer doing things in person if, if at all possible, but no, I mean, how do we pull it off? I mean, I've got to be honest here kyle i was i wasn't expecting richard dawkins to say yes when i emailed <laughs> right. him uh because he's kind of been on the show in a kind of ish way in the past right. um I, I managed to get a kind of a brief interview with him a kind of debate he did with john lennox in oxford several years ago uh i kind of then brought him on by phone for a kind of three-way discussion on the old testament several years ago as well i uh, hadn't hadn't reached out to him in a while though and uh, i thought you know what it's a long shot and i know he says he really does these kinds of discussions But I thought, I'm going to try. So I have his email address and I put I I sent him one about around Christmas time, actually. And uh, I said, would you be interested in coming on with Francis Collins, who I knew was was interested in coming on? And to my great surprise and delight, he said, yes, I highly respect Francis Collins. So actually, that's someone I'd be interested in talking to. So I think we just had the right person at the right time and uh and so yeah, and that, that they actually had a really good natured discussion I mean they they disagreed, obviously, but one thing that I noticed um is that I think I think Richard Dawkins has mellowed um in recent years. Mm-hmm. I think he's no longer quite the dogmatic atheist that maybe he once was, and he's realized he's actually closer ironically to some people on the Christian side than some of his secular peers for similar reasons to to you know what we've talked about before people like Jordan Peterson and Dave Rubin and others who don't necessarily call themselves christian but find that they're more easy bedfellows often with christians than with some of their secular folk because richard dawkins as you probably know he's he's kind of had his own sort of cancellations by from from his own community yeah. he got rescinded as humanist of the year by uh, the american humanist association because he has been critical of the transgender movement and things like that so it was interesting because um i think i think he felt actually francis collins at least was someone he had a highly high respect for in terms of his uh, you work in genetics also because they ha- shared a mutual friend in Christopher Hitchens, well-known atheist, who Francis mm-hmm. Collins actually was also a friend of and helped in his final, you know, uh, diagnosis for esophageal cancer um, by providing a genomic analysis of that cancer and and helped to extend his life in his final months. So there's a lot of, you know, a, a lot of mutual respect in that way. and And that led to a really good conversation between them.
0: Absolutely. You could tell that there was a mutual admiration for one another. And we're going to dig into several points of the interview here in just a second, because I do want to ask you, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't think and mention this from the very top. There seemed to be a little whistling past the graveyard from both of them to start the interview because COVID were, really wasn't a center point. I would have much preferred them not even talk about COVID, but they both kind of castigated people from the very beginning that you know have chosen to forego the the COVID vaccine essentially as simpletons that have been taken up by conspiracy theories. And neither one made any mention of regard for natural immunity, for adverse effects from the vaccine, from every time there's like a data drop from one of these manufacturers that it shows the efficacy of the jabs is kind of not what we were sold. But then Collins, later in the interview, he furthered the now almost entirely debunked theory that COVID jumped from an animal to a human at a wet market in China. And I was flabbergasted. I'm like the only saving grace is if this was recorded like a year ago or a year and a half ago. (laughs) But, you know, he basically said everyone that disagreed with him was a conspiracy theorist. So for me, if I'm being honest, Justin, that was a sour note on the whole discussion. Mm. Now, Mm. as I'm going to ask you about here in a second, there were were things that would more than overshadow that from the conversation. Mm. But have you gotten that feedback? Because I was just like, this was a completely unforced error, I thought.
1: Yeah, I, I I fully appreciate that there are a lot of people who would say actually that the the evidence is on the table that what Francis presented there isn't isn't the full full picture by any means. Uh, this was recorded sort of back in February, and I think that maybe was you know th- there was still some question marks uh, even at that time over over exactly. I think the the evidence has become clearer since then. So I don't know whether Francis would mm. would maybe uh, you know s- put that slightly differently now. Um, you know. I, I hadn't invited them in all honesty to discuss the 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 sort of origins of covid it was uh, I was more kind of asking from a theological perspective what mm-hmm. their position was uh, just in the whole the whole idea of you know um viruses and god and and creation and so on but yeah I mean they were on the same page certainly in fact I was surprised at how much they were on the same page in, in a funny way right. Because um, I thought Dawkins might might be a little bit more sceptical in some regards about some of the COVID procedures and uh, and, and so on uh, and but but as it turned out, you know, he, um, they they were nodding along and agreeing wholeheartedly for for most of that. So so perhaps they perhaps in a way Francis knew that as well that, that Dawkins was pretty much on the same page on that one.
0: Yeah, and I would say again. The, if, if you're really that offended by that, when you're listening to that conversation, just roll your eyes and move on because those, those weren't really the hinge points of the conversation. I just thought it was a little odd, but I do yeah. want to talk about this exchange that happened early in the debate. Mm. When you asked Dawkins about the new atheist movement and how that's changed over time and how there's been some, you know, political underpinnings of that and how cancel culture has gotten involved. You mentioned that just a second ago as well. He answered this way. I'm not that interested in that kind of thing. I'm interested in what's true, not how many people think this or how many people think that. If there are trends in society towards this movement or that movement, who cares? I mean, let's talk about what's true. Now, Justin... (laughs) <laughs> that was actually pretty hilarious to me, because Richard Dawkins seems to care a whole heck of a lot about people thinking this or thinking that. He seems to care very deeply about the trends in society, and he is actively trying to trend society towards atheism. And he's made a crap ton of money in the process of doing that. So <laughs> you didn't ask him about it, you didn't press him about it, but don't you find that a bit disingenuous from him?
1: Uh, maybe. I mean, what I was really kind of wanting him to what I wanted to open up potentially at that point, but I think he he wanted to divert away from it, was the fact that in a secular culture that we have seen the, the kind of the secular side uh, of, of, of the equation actually splitting into lots of different categories, you know, the people who uh, affirm various political uh, ideologies, um, transgender, race, gender, sexuality, and everything else. And the fact that in a way, you know, I, and I didn't kind of go... I didn't press this as much as I could have perhaps, but the new atheism really, in my opinion, has kind of fallen apart um, because they just couldn't agree on anything. Once they'd agreed that God was a bad idea, they couldn't then agree on anything beyond that. And you've had all of these warring factions. And I think, as I said earlier, Dawkins, in a way, has become a victim of that because, you know, even some of the people who crowned him as humanist of the year only 10 years ago or something have now turned on him and said, you're no longer welcome because you're not affirming this, that or the other, you know, uh, sort of ideology. So so that was kind of what I wanted to, to kind of maybe open up and just see if he had something to say about that. But as you say, he kind of, he kind of you know, swerved that one a little and said, look, I'm just interested in, in what's true and what's not. I don't want to get into kind of political debates about these things. But the reality is as you say, um, you know, Dawkins has has a long history of kind of, you know, doing exactly that, you know, make, you know, taking a very particular side on a particular social issue. So, you know, to suddenly sort of, I think he's realized in a way, in a funny way, that what's good for the goose is good for the gander, that if you're, if you're gonna kind of put your oar in on religion, Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing, well, hey, you might just find that that comes back to bite you when you try and an opinion in on another issue that people find almost sacrilegious or is very close to their heart, um, and so so I think he's been surprised, probably if I'm honest, by the strength of opinion and the you know the, the backlash that he's received when he has dared to say something even slightly critical of particularly the transgender. Uh, issue. So, so, so yeah, he kind of, um, I I got the sense though, he, he wasn't keen to kind of open up that can of worms with me and that's fine. I hadn't, I hadn't invited him there to debate those issues and, and he kind of, he kind of sidestepped them in the end.
0: Well, and, and right after that, he said, "Can we please talk about science?" And yeah, you, you pull out your binder, and it's like, okay, let's talk about science or uh, you know science. But it it does seem like that's becoming a red pill moment for a lot of people. You even have prominent uh, liberal folks that like you know Joe Rogan or a Bill Maher saying things that seem very right wing now because especially in this country, in the United States, the left wing of the party of the democratic side of things has gone so unbelievably far to the left that it's mm. unrecognizable to a lot of people now. But really, Justin, the, the big moment of the, the big conversation between these two happened around the 35 minute mark. So guys, if, if you go and watch this or listen to this later, it's around the 35 minute mark, depending upon where the ads are. But Colin said this, but you said that, well, it's happened just because of the laws of physics. I want to take this, this back to that step. Where did those come from? And this is how Dawkins responded. Well, let's get to that then because you keep getting to that. I believe that's a very profound if somebody, and again, he's just talking. So if somebody was going to convince me of the need for a God, it would be there. It would not be in my own field of biology. And, you know, I was paying attention, you know, I was watching the video and all that, but I was just like, whoa Whoa. wait a minute like that was the stop the presses moment because collins is like hey laws of physics like that's not your world but where did those come from and to hear one of the one of the most rude smug self-righteous people on the planet on the atheist side of things to admit that there is a possibility that he Mm. could be swayed on god was shocking to me because i expected dawkins to be the guy to be like if someone were to actually convince me that God was real, I would assume that my brain will have st- would have stopped functioning. That I had, you know, and you've heard atheists use that type of thing as well. But yeah. that was shocking for me. Justin, yeah. was it was it for you yeah. when you heard it live? I, I was,
1: I was, I was like, I, I was like, whoa, that's quite quite the admission. Um, that's more than you would normally here. And as I say, I think that's partly why I I say he's mellowed a bit, because um, it it would have been unusual to hear even that much of a a sort of an admission that, hey, there could be a case for God uh, in this particular area. Um, I I think in that way, you know, I've, I've heard interestingly similar things from people like, while he was with us, Christopher Hitchens, who also said something like the fine tuning of the universe presents the most significant challenge to his sort of atheist perspective, because it does feel like there's a really strong argument there um and and so it was interesting to hear dawkins also say and i i i think one of the reasons is simply that it's it's much harder i think to avoid the kind of philosophical metaphysical questions that you have to arrive at when you get to something like where did it all come from you know and and as far as i can see atheism has very little to say to that actually there's very little resource for atheism to 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 kind of you know counter the fact that the fact that there is anything at all seems remarkable. The fact that there are these laws of physics, which seem so elegantly formed and the, the numbers that are involved to allow life to develop in the universe. Again, it, it seems like that's one of the areas where quite frequently I find atheists are at least the most open to saying, well, there might be something here. Now, of course, the conversation went on and it turned out you know, Dawkins still doesn't like the idea, but this was also a significant thing for me is why doesn't he like the idea of God as a potential explanation for where those laws come from? And really, and the reason he gave really was he just doesn't like the idea. I mean, it wasn't really a kind of, you know, I've got a really cogent argument for why God can't be an explanation for this. It was like, it, it just doesn't like the concept of a kind of God behind it. He prefers a, what he calls a simple explanation. He says, I'm so in love with the idea of evolution, which is this idea that, complex things come from very simple sources he said the idea of a complex being like god being behind the whole show that 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 just doesn't feel right to me so it was more a kind of an argument from emotion if i'm honest than mm-hmm. a, an actual argument from reason because actually for me uh, well firstly i don't i don't agree with him that that god is some kind of complex explanation i think in a sense god is the most basic simple thing of all because it's the thing that grounds everything it's just not made of physical parts like the universe is and and that's that's just you know by definition what god is but at the same time it it was interesting because it was more about dawkins sort of sense that i just don't like the idea of god and that's why i'm choosing not to see that as a satisfactory explanation and and he kind of said it in as many words he said i suppose you could call it a presupposition uh and that, that for me was another really interesting admission that, you know, everyone has their biases and that Dawkins, at least on this occasion, was willing to admit, I have an atheistic bias that I just don't like the idea of God as an explanation. And I was quite pleased that he was sort of honest enough to say that.
0: Yeah, I, w- I was shocked. I think if you had put him opposite- just about anyone else, I don't know that you would have gotten him in such a jovial mood where he would mm. have given you that type of feedback, which makes me wonder about some of these ardent public atheists is that are, are they kind of buying into their own thing? Are they high on their own farts? Can they admit when they don't actually know something? But, you know, for me. I think part of the emotion Justin if I were to guess is because he d- he knows that if God's real that judgment also is real and it's very easy to live your life devoid of judgment and just to say oh, I don't believe in any of that but to have to think through giving an accounting someday of the life that you've led and you know how you've dealt with people um, and not like in a Muslim sense or in a Buddhist sense, but in a very Judeo-Christian sense that mm-hmm. you're going to be giving an account to God and you have to lean on the blood of Christ. I think that's where the emotion gets in for him. And guys, there's way more things that I could have brought up uh, you know, about this interview. Again, it's in the show notes. You can go check it out yourself. But Dawkins brought up the multiverse theory. Mm. And every time I hear someone bring up the multiverse theory, I just roll my eyes. I think it's nonsense (laughs) because to be clear, Dawkins did not say he was a proponent necessarily or a believer in the theory to be clear, but he brought it up as a reasonable explanation for the fine tuning of the universe because that's what we were just talking about. Now, it's always Mm. shocking to me, Justin, that these really, really, really smart people that always want to rely on hard facts and data and proof and all these different things, they get completely romanced by this idea of the multiverse of which there are no facts, data, or proof to back up. Like it's just shocking to me. So it's like you can't fathom a a you know all knowing, all just God. But yeah, let's just go ahead and say there's a multiverse. Help me, Justin. It drives me insane.
1: <laughs> it's an interesting point. Uh, I mean, the multiverse. There's there's different versions of how you might get to a multiverse. You know, sci- You know, from the scientific side. The problem with it is it's completely unobservable by definition. You you could not. You know physically observe such a thing mm. if it did exist. And for many scientists, that simply puts it beyond the realm of science. You know, if you can't physically test for something or experiment, do an experiment that could in principle reveal it to you, then you've got to ask, is it science or is it just an interesting idea in someone's head at that point? Um, you know, there are those who, who kind of say, well, the maths predicts that something like this could happen at the very beginning, that it, what's called the expansion point of the universe, that, that this would happen. Again, The problem is it's highly theoretical. Um, So, so to to, to some, and the the reality is that I think a lot of a lot of reason people go to the multiverse. The only reason probably Richard Dawkins really knows anything about the multiverse is because it's the best thing on the table apart from design when it comes to our universe. It's the Mm -hmm. it's it's the next best option. Is it a good option? Well, actually, I don't think it is. There's all kinds of actual good philosophical, scientific reasons I think why multiverse theory itself is a non-starter. For starters, most physicists would say if you have a multiverse, you have to have a multiverse generating mechanism, which in itself would have to be incredibly finely tuned. The the second problem is there's a philosophical problem, which I won't go into full detail on, but it's called the Boltzmann brain problem, which is that if there were a multiverse, then we should not expect to see the universe we actually live in. Our universe is highly unlikely on a multiverse scenario because it's a very big Um, highly finely tuned universe, what we should be seeing is a very small patch of local order where it's much more likely that you would be just a brain popping into existence and observing its surroundings and then popping out of existence. That's what you and I should be if we are actually in multiverse. That's far, far, far more probable than the actual universe we do exist in. So that seems to, again, suggest Well, it probably isn't. We probably don't live in a multiverse. then. So there's philosophical, scientific reasons why a multiverse for a lot of people is a non-starter anyway. But I think the main the main problem is that for a lot of people, it's kind of a get out call. It's a get out card. It's a get out of jail free card from having to go down the very uncomfortable idea that there might be a God who's actually designed this universe. Because that, you know, is the next obvious, you know, conclusion that you would draw from this extraordinary nature of of the fine tuning of the universe. So I I can understand why, you know, a lot of skeptics would reach for the multiverse, say, okay, I don't like the God idea. Let's let's go. Let's go down this route instead and, and, you know, put put our cards on that table. But yeah, so so it's a really interesting one. And um, yeah, as as to people's motivations, I guess only God knows ultimately exactly why people choose what they choose.
0: Right. I think you nailed it, Justin. This is a way for them to explain things away because if you can say there's an infinite number of universes, then obviously one of them is going to end up being finely tuned. I do, do hear people talk about that. The, the, now for the weirdest thing though,
1: oh, here's the really weird thing about the, find, the the multiverse hypothesis is if there is a multiverse, what it means is that there is basically every possible thing that can happen, will happen in a multiverse somewhere. So the really weird thing is that if you are an atheist who believes in the multiverse, you have to believe that there is actually a universe in which someone called Jesus walked on water, turned water into wine, um, rose from the dead, because all of that is possible in a mul- in a universe somewhere in the multiverse. So in a really bizarre way, it's possible that everything in the Bible happened uh, if we are actually living in a multiverse. There's all those kind of weird kind of counterintuitive conclusions that come From believing in a multiverse, Uh, you know, there's a there's a a universe somewhere where Richard Dawkins is the pope. There's a universe somewhere, you know, where (laughs) where where Kyle Thompson is, you know, um, the next Mark Driscoll. I don't know. It's 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 kind of it's it's a weird kind of concept because everything that can happen will happen if there is a genuinely infinite number of possible worlds out there.
0: Yeah. And it's just a mind numbing thing. I mean, the moment I mentioned the multiverse, I could even feel certain people in my audience, like short circuiting, like, and so I I guess I am curious because sometimes when I listen to the debates that you do, Justin, or the ones that you're moderating, I feel like they're impossible to follow. And it's not because you're a bad moderator. It's because the intellectual horsepower of your guests, sometimes it is absolutely unreal. So I need you to, I guess, to make me personally feel better. How often do you feel like it's impossible to follow the (laughs) debates on your show? Because when you have people going, you know, 20, 25 minutes down the rabbit hole of multiverse, it's like, are there like 14 people on the planet that can keep up with that conversation?
1: Yeah, I I mean, some of them have gone kind of really deep and uh, there are ones where I've definitely struggled to keep up. And I know that if I'm struggling to keep up, you know, I'm not saying that I, I know it all, but I've been around the block and I've kind of done a lot of these conversations. Yeah. So if I know if I'm struggling to keep up, then a lot of people in the audience will be. And that's why I kind of tend to reserve those really highly technical ones to just occasionally rather than making them really regular, because I want people to be able to join in, obviously. I mean, th- there are some, though, like it's not just science. It's like, you know, when I had NT right on with James White. Um, so James White, if people know, is a kind of reformed Calvinist sort of scholar differs strongly from Tom Wright and T. Wright on his view of justification. I got them together. This was several years ago. And that I was struggling to keep up because they were quoting Greek at each other. Yeah. And they were, you you know, it was it was like, okay. and But they were having the time of their lives, you know, debating <laughs> right. each other on this. I, and I was just there tr- desperately trying to say, okay, can you just remind me what that means? And can you, you know, so yeah, it, it's like that sometimes. But, but I think sometimes it's good to actually... I think sometimes as long as you don't take it too far, uh, it's a good thing to kind of challenge your audience, to kind of force them to kind of get it, just be slightly outside of their comfort zone. Cause often that's the beauty of a podcast. You can rewind, you can listen again. You can maybe go mm-hmm. and look something up. I always feel like if I kind of know everything that everyone's going to say in a podcast, I'm like, well, you know, was that a good use of 50 minutes of my time? If I felt like hey, there were things in there they said that I wasn't really sure what they meant, but maybe actually I'm going to go and find out then. Then I think maybe I've been stretched and that's that's never a bad thing. Absolutely.
0: I think that that's a good thing as well. But there there are some where it's just like, <laughs> all right, uh, for the last 20 minutes, I, I'm not sure they've kept speaking in English because I remember that <laughs> one with N.T. Wright and James White being like, I know I speak English. I'm pretty sure I speak English, but I don't know what these guys are saying. It just didn't compute to me. So, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, we'll we'll kind of put a bow on the Collins and Dawkins interview. I personally find Dawkins to be an incredibly... Unimpressive human being. Personally, I just don't feel like he's there's a whole lot to him, especially with his philosophical takes on things. So, I obviously thought that Francis Collins won the debate, if there is such a thing. Mm. So, from the feedback that you've gotten, you know who do who do most people think won that debate? And I'm going to make you not be a polite Englishman for once, and you're going to tell me who you <laughs> think won the debate. All right, so tell me.
1: Ah, uh, it's it's so tricky, isn't it? Because inevitably, everyone you know is rooting for their person. So, so you know, most of the atheists who've been in touch, you know. Have, you know, I've said, yeah, they think uh, Dawkins won it. Uh, most of the Christians say Francis did. I mean, not all Christians, let's face it, are fans of Francis Collins either. So I had quite a lot of people saying, yeah. couldn't you get Dawkins on opposite someone else or <laughs> this person or <laughs> right. that person? But, they, you know, th- 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 this was the match and this was the people I wanted to bring together. Uh, most of the c- feedback, though, has actually just been actually about how glad they were that it was a really good, substantive discussion. They were so glad that Dawkins was willing to make some of those concessions that we've already talked about. And 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 to that extent, um, a lot of the atheists who have been in touch, they well they haven't sort of decided to pick a side about who won or who didn't win they've just said this is why i listened to unbelievable justin this is why i listened to the big conversation because you brought these two people together and they had a good honest discussion and they they left as friends and and for me that's that's a win um my hope is that you know for a lot of the atheists who do listen i think I, i think there was plenty in there that will have helped to to say actually christianity is a intellectual option okay uh no it's probably not going to answer have answered all of your questions in this one discussion but actually uh you you can have a solid christian faith and you can believe that you know because there there are good reasons to believe that there's a god behind this universe and that there are answers to the reasons why you know suffering and evil and viruses and that kind of thing exists um i i think i think one of the the sort of for me what, one of the most interesting moments was was when Dawkins really went for Collins on the issue of miracles. Um, and and he kind mm. of took that view there at that point Well, you can't be a, a good scientist and believe in all these crazy stuff that happened in the Bible kind of thing. And, and I thought Collins stood his ground very well there and just said, no, actually, uh, I think I can have it both ways. I think I think if there's ever a, a point in history in a person for whom this kind of stuff makes sense, it's Jesus. Something happened in those 30 years of his life, which transformed the world. Uh, and I've got, and I think we've got good reasons to believe what they said they saw actually happened. And, and I was so glad for him, you know, as a, as a, as a, you know, renowned scientist to to stand his ground and say, I'm also a Christian who believes that Jesus Christ really rose from the dead. Um, because that's where Dawkins, at the end of the day, whether Dawkins believes in some kind of deist God behind the universe, well, maybe you can get him to that point. But it's not going to save his soul, frankly. Uh, it's only meeting the person of Jesus Christ who's going to do that, and and that's why I was I was glad that Francis, you know, took it there in the end.
0: So is that your way of saying that you think Collins won?
1: <laughs> My sympathies were obviously with Collins, so yes, I believe the stronger arguments are on Colin's side. But okay. um, if it's just kind of who who had the best, uh, you know, sort of debating style on the day. Um, It was probably closer to a kind of a draw than than, than maybe, you know, Collins wiping the floor with Dawkins or vice versa. You're
0: just so nice, Justin. You're just so nice. Okay. I won't press it any further, but I will echo the sentiment that you've gotten that I was shocked to listen to a cordial conversation because I, I think the same week that you released it on your podcast feed, you released a classic replay from Lawrence Krauss and Rodney Holder. Oh, and I yeah. found Lawrence Krauss to be the biggest jerk. Like I I like at one point I'm like this guy freaking sucks. Like I don't want to hear him talk anymore. He's so unbelievably smug. Like I, it was just so unpleasant to listen to. It just made me mad as I'm like riding down the road. So I was glad to kind of get that. But so to put a, a bow on season 4 of The Big Conversation. Yeah. I know you're happy with it. I'm assuming you're going to move forward yeah. towards season yeah. 5. Are there any changes or improvements that we can look forward to for
1: season 5? Oh, for season five. Well, we've hardly even begun planning for that. But we, we, we would love to bring Jordan Peterson back on, uh, if he's if he's available. We tried to get him on for this season, but he just he's a very busy man. So, but who knows? It would be it would be great fun to to have Jordan Peterson back. You know, five five or so years on from when we first had him. Um, and there's lots of other conversations that that I'm really interested in having. I mean, there's. There's so many interesting thinkers out there. Um, Jonathan Haidt, uh, I don't know if you've come across him. He's he's, he's a yeah, really interesting se- yeah, and- Coddling of the American Mind. Yeah, Coddling of the American Mind. He's a Really interesting secular thinker um, who's who I think is one of these interesting Peterson-esque characters who's actually reevaluating the place of religion and saying actually, you know, we 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 can't necessarily live without that story. Um, that, yeah, there's, there's 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 lots of great great thinkers out there, um, and and we're, we're still well we're just about to start working on that one we we've yet to finish recording season 4 so so we've uh, we've got all that to come still
0: Awesome guys. Well, uh, like I said, I said to everybody from the very beginning there in the show notes, you can find all the information to that. And then obviously stay plugged in with all the stuff you guys have going on over there for whenever season five comes out and also the rest of your podcast and everything. But one thing I did want to talk to you about as well. So we'll transition out of, out of the big conversation is you mentioned whenever we were emailing back and forth about getting this interview on the books that you are writing a new book about the meaning crisis in our culture. Right. I think that's mm-hmm. something that everybody's recognized. And a lot of people are feeling that. But I guess, you know, for generic starters, why are you particularly so interested in this topic of the meaning crisis? You know, so much so that you would write an entire book. Yeah. You know, what's kind of the, the main thesis of the book? You know, when can we expect its release? Go.
1: Yeah. So basically, I mean, it actually starts, interestingly, the book with the new atheism. The first chapter is on the new atheism, but it's really a chapter on why I think the new atheism has failed, why it's fizzled out, effectively why it's become quite old hat in a way. Uh, And it's because, um, you know, when it was riding the crest of its popularity, there were all these writers, you know, Dennett, Dawkins, Hitchens and co uh, saying, you know, religion, we need to ditch it because we're going to face this great new future where science and reason basically lead us forward uh, and and those promises have failed dismally because we're actually living e- even in our technologically savvy culture people are more depressed more anxious uh that they, they are they are falling out with each other the culture wars have never been so you know so high and and you've got to ask yourself well what what exactly what answers did the new atheism bring precisely none because as i said the problem was as soon as they'd agreed that they didn't believe in God and that religion was evil, they couldn't agree on anything else. It didn't actually offer any answers for how to live life because, you know, ultimately science is great at what it does, but it does not actually offer you a, w- a way to live your life. It doesn't offer you answers of that kind. And so the first chapter really deals with the fact that the meaning crisis in a way has has been uh, amplified by people like Dawkins, you know, the, the rise of secularism, because what that was really showing us is that we've lost the story that Christianity has given the West for the last 2,000 years, um, and but that we're still living kind of in the echoes of it, essentially. And so when we see people marching for justice, when we see people campaigning on trans rights, when we see all of those kinds of political ideologies coming through, it's basically people who have replaced the Christian story for a different kind of sacred story. They've basically turned away from that form of religion to a new form of quasi-religion because we're still meaning-seeking creatures. We're still fundamentally religious at our core. It's just that the story that once shaped our lives now has to be replaced by something else. And people are reaching out to all kinds of these things. But the problem is any religion that doesn't have Jesus at the center of it is gonna fail you. Any religion that doesn't have grace, forgiveness built into it as Christianity does is gonna quickly become toxic and cancel culture and everything else. So for me, that's that's part of what's contributed to this meaning crisis, uh, because people don't know how to live anymore. It's why Jordan Peterson has become so fantastically popular among a certain generation, especially of young men, because they don't know who they are. They're having an identity crisis. They're having this, you know, this meaning crisis. Suddenly Jordan Peterson comes along, saying actually fairly, you know, commonsensical things, Mm -hmm. picking up on some ancient wisdom. And suddenly he's like the new guru. Well, whatever he did he did it in in a way that obviously connected with these guys but what the rest of the book really does is it teases out some of these thinkers like jordan peterson other interesting secular thinkers like douglas murray tom holland the historian um mm-hmm. paul kingsnorth who i've uh, i've gotten another edition of the big conversation who recently converted to christianity uh some of the, the the interesting scientists brain psychologist ian McGilchrist, who's you know coming to see that the way that the brain itself bespeaks a kind of cause beyond itself. There's all kinds of interesting thinkers coming out of the woodwork who uh, are are now taking a very different path to the new atheists and saying, we need to reconsider the religious story. We need to reconsider Christianity specifically. And they're not Christians per se, but they're coming back and saying, did we throw the baby out with the bathwater? Maybe this Christian story has more going for it than we thought. And every conversation I'm having, and I've been having these conversations now for the last five or six years, It's so interesting because the conversation has moved from that kind of slightly arid kind of does God exist, you know, the new atheist kind of conversation to a much more kind of how are we going to live now in a post-Christian culture? And, And for me, that's where the conversation has moved to. And I think the church has an extraordinary opportunity, actually, because people are starting to realize that because they didn't get any answers from the new atheism, they're, they're looking again for where they could find answers. And they're, they're gradually finding that they're not going to find it in these political ideologies and that maybe, just maybe, there might be something in this Christian story that, you know, their parents or grandparents or great grandparents once believed in. So that's that's kind of in a nutshell, you know, the, 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 what the book's about, the, the kind of what we're calling, actually, uh, we've decided on the official title of the book is, is going to be the surprising rebirth of belief in God, because I think there is interestingly that the pendulum is swinging back again after, you know, a good century or so of, of, of its swing towards, towards atheism.
0: I think that's very interesting. I'm, I'm really excited to, to read that book. And we'll obviously have you back on to talk about it after it comes out, but you mentioned Jordan Peterson again there. And I feel like Jordan Peterson is so close. Like whenever I listen to his videos or listen to his podcast, I feel like he's, he's right there. Um, in mm-hmm. terms of really understanding who God is. And if I were, you know, one of my goals is to have Jordan Peterson on our show at some point, I'm sure you can hook that up for us. Just make sure you put that on your to-do <laughs> list, Justin. i did <laughs> but Okay, excellent. Well, the thing is, is like everyone likes to ask him, do you believe in God? I would ask him, why would you want God to exist? Like, I think it's a slightly different answer because mm-hmm. I think Jordan Peterson came to his biblical lecture series that, you know, was a YouTube phenomenon years and years ago with this overwhelming sense of awe As to like the hyperlinked nature of scripture, like he Mm -hmm. couldn't believe it, but Mm -hmm. hearing him go on Joe Rogan podcast this year and talk about the Bible and the way that he talked about the Bible to a man who doesn't even know for sure that Jesus Mm -hmm. existed. Joe Rogan has questioned publicly Mm -hmm. whether or not Mm -hmm. this Jesus of Nazareth was an actual historical human being. I I feel like he's so close, but I always have to throw this out there to people as well. As much as I like Jordan Peterson, as, as much as I've spent hundreds of hours listening to him and, and reading him and all those different things, I think people need to be very clear. He's not a Christian. He's not a pastor, mm-hmm. and he's certainly not mm-hmm. your pastor, Pastor, which doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to him. It just mm-hmm. means that you should take those things with a grain of salt. Pray for him. Like God mm-hmm. doesn't need him to become a Christian, but can you imagine mm-hmm. what that would look like for society? I just mm-hmm. wanted to kind of throw that out there. I don't have a question yeah. there. The question I actually wanted yeah. to ask you before we move off of the new book, which, again, sounds fantastic, is— The church, Justin, has accepted its position of being downstream from culture. So culture is worshiping at the altar of Black Lives Matter, of the LGBTQ revolution, of the insert whatever political party and your favorite thing to talk about, QAnon if you're on the right or Mm -hmm. being ultra MAGA or whatever the thing is. Mm -hmm. But when the church decided, and I don't know when it happened to accept the position of being downstream from culture and trying to look like culture and be like culture and get culture to accept it. I feel like that is whenever people stopped taking Christianity seriously, especially here in the West, because if you're just trying to be a less cool version of the cool stuff that's happening in culture, why are you shocked when people don't want to opt in? I mean, am I crazy?
1: Yeah, yeah. no, I, I think you're onto something there. And and I think it's, it's, it's kind of, the problem with Christian culture, especially you know evangelical Christian subculture, is that it's it's done a very poor job of basically just copying the trends of culture, and and people can can smell that a mile off when when they know that you're basically just there to try and attract them in with something that you know sounds a bit like Coldplay and and looks a bit like that that latest video or whatever it is. Um, I think I think this is interesting to me because actually. Um, this is this is something Tom Holland has said. Tom Holland is uh, not I'm not talking about Spider-Man Tom Holland here. I'm talking about the historian yeah. Tom Holland, author of the book Dominion. Um and he again is a very interesting character because he's he's not conventionally Christian, let's say, but he has um he he's written this magisterial historical work on the way that Christianity has shaped the West and the way that even the most ardent atheist humanist is actually really a product of the Christian revolution. Um but but he has said when it comes to you know what will attract people like him back to church. He has said, it's not going to be, you know, you guys just doing the latest thing and basically copying and looking like the culture. I want something that feels really different, that, that takes me out of this kind of quite banal vapid culture. And that's why Mm. he, has actually started going back to church. But the kind of church he goes to is a very ancient one. It's the oldest church in London, in fact. It's got this very high mm. Anglo-Catholic kind of tradition, um, which, you know, to many people will, will just feel completely alien in itself. But I think what he likes about that is it feels, it feels like it's from another world. It feels like it's something that isn't, you know, just more of you know, the, the same trite cliches and the, the same kind of trying to keep up with the cultural trend stuff. It just feels like it's it's just doing its thing and it's been that way for the last thousand years or whatever. And 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 it, it kind of, it transports him because it, it says, no, this, this speaks to me of a different world. So there's that kind of thing where where maybe church does need to just look and feel different. It, it needs to be unapologetic about the fact that, mm. you know, and the other thing he said, and this was a really interesting one, and, and this was actually repeated by, by Douglas Murray when I had a conversation with him and N.T. Wright. Douglas Murray and Tom Wright both basically said, keep Christianity weird, basically. Don't basically try and turn Christianity, sort of basically dumb it down and dilute it into whatever you know is deemed acceptable by society today. Because again, for exactly the reasons you've said, it, it then just becomes a, another option. It's like, well, I, I might go to the church or I might go to my golf club because they're basically the same thing at this point. Um, and right. and to, to that extent, you know, it was so interesting to hear two secular people saying, if you're gonna be a Christian, be a proper Christian you know tell me about all the weird stuff you know tell me about all the the demons and the angels and you know believe that stuff because otherwise it just feels like another kind of you know uh you know dumbed down version of something that I can already have here so so that was really interesting to me because I think and 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 I see that interestingly, among a lot of, you know, really intellectual people, when they do come back to faith, they come back to quite a full bodied version of it. They don't go mm. for some kind of really trendy, modern, progressive, liberal version of faith. They they want something that's like really kind of like, you know, it's different. And um and I, I think sometimes the church needs to, to grow a pair and say, this is this is what we need. This is, you know, people aren't coming just to kind of have a, you know, a little add on if people if it's worth getting your life changed, then you know, let's let's give people something that really makes a difference.
0: I think you may have stumbled on the the exact way to describe it, add-on. Like it's an a la carte thing. Yes, I will go ahead and have shrimp with my steak, please. Because when people go, especially to these mega churches here in the United States, it's an hour long. You know, you, you get picked up in the parking lot, you get brought to the front door in a golf cart, you go get your coffee and your chips, you go in there, you listen to a 20 minute rock concert, then you listen to some, you know, dude that's, you know, wearing $700 sneakers telling you this really cool Ted talk type, you know, sermon with a few Bible verses sprinkled on top that he just kind of threw in last minute so he can still get the tax exempt status. And it's like, what <laughs> is what I could go do something else. Like I, I could go watch a movie. I could go do something else entirely. So um, this all sounds really awesome. When is that book going to be coming out? Do you have an idea? Um,
1: it's going to be July 23. So it's a bad, it's still, you know, a year or so away, but um, it's just, I want yeah. it
0: now. Can you hurry oh, I'm up? Sorry. Like, that's I'm way sorry. too long.
1: I'm I'm sorry. You're going to have to develop the Christian virtue of patience, Kyle, um, because uh, the book is still you. is still in development. But yeah, we looking Justin, forward to you it. you
0: know that I am not patient at all. You know that, and I know you said that just to convict me. But let's kind of get off of that subject. But but in all honesty, that sounds fantastic, and I feel like you are very very well equipped to write that book because of the just long track record of conversations that you've had. And the thing is, is and I'll just say this for me. I always put myself in your shoes when I'm listening to your show and Mm -hmm. being like, what is Justin thinking right now? Because he's Mm -hmm. hearing these things go back and forth. Of course you're watching the clock and you're watching for breaks and all that, but you're absorbing this and you're able to kind of turn around your own brain as well. It's kind of like when a uh, person that's a dealer in poker, they're watching so many hands that they're not playing in. And so they get to Mm -hmm. just kind of be a fly on the wall and and understand, Oh, I would have probably done this or I would have done that. Mm -hmm. So I think you're going to be a great person to write this. Now, what's funny about uh, you coming back on the show, Justin, is I wasn't expecting you to come on until you wrote another bestseller. And so, yeah. uh, you know, we can obviously do that in the future. But I went back to my notes from our first interview, and there were a bunch of questions that we didn't have time to get to. Okay. Uh, I think we were a little bit short on time that day and in all the different things. So I have a couple of those that I think we can sneak in mm. before you go mm. out today. Definitely. So I want to talk to you about episode 232 of your podcast, okay? Oh, so you'll so have I'm to remind I'm me a what that off-guard. was. Yeah. <laughs> now, no. tell me exactly what 232 is. You're the brainiac. No, no. I'll it up for you. Like, cause I hate when people do that. They're like on page three of the thing that you wrote. It's like, come on, man. But uh, that was a episode called transgender people and the church. And you had on two guests. One was Christina Beardsley, who is a biological male that thinks he is a woman and is also mm-hmm. apparently somehow a priest in the church of England and an American pastor named Preston Sprinkle. Now this, this mm-hmm. episode was from years ago, guys. Uh, but you know, I, I remembered it because I remember something that happened in that episode that just caught me weird. So in that episode, you kept using uh, feminine pronouns when referring to Christina, who is, again, a biological male, which is to say male, right? Mm. So in, in light of what the Bible teaches us about gender and, you know, the order of creation, do you think it's appropriate to tickle the ears of someone that's experiencing, you know, gender dysphoric disorder of some kind just to make them feel better or to, you know, pretend like it's an altruistic politeness, you know, even though what they're feeling isn't true, or right? I mean, can we not be like Jesus and directly point to the sin, point out the sin without crushing the sinner? I was, I gotta, I gotta be honest. I was a little disappointed in you, even though I have an idea of what you're going to say as to why you did that. But I just, it, it was shocking to me that you continue to refer to this mm. biological male using feminine pronouns.
1: Yeah. Well, well, I'm probably going to say what you're you're expecting me to say, which, which is that, that in that kind of scenario where I've invited Christina on, you know, to represent right. the transgender perspective, I'm I'm not going to, I'm going to try and be as courteous as possible in that situation. And whatever my personal view is on, you know, the reality of transgender, uh, I was, I was happy to use the pronouns that Christina preferred me to use. And so to, to that extent, I, I thought I'm not going to, for me to have kind of gone in and you know deliberately used he instead of she in that scenario I think would have derailed the conversation in quite a significant way we wouldn't have had a conversation frankly and I wanted to be able to 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 be able to have the conversation because that's what the show is about bringing obviously different perspectives mm-hmm. together for that I mean and as you'll know you know Preston himself also used the preferred pronouns of Christina as well because Preston's perspective is that that's something you can do in good conscience as a christian even if you don't necessarily agree with the ideology of transgender ultimately that there's a kind of there's a balance that needs to be struck between kind of standing up for truth as it were and actually um you know just just doing things that are helpful in that moment in and culturally and sociologically uh to, to get someone to the table and to, and to have a conversation in the first place so that's that that's kind of where i where i stood on it um it doesn't you know my own in all kinds of conversations, you know, my own personal views are kind of going to be put on the back burner in order to just facilitate the conversation. And that was one instance where that might be the case.
0: Yeah, I certainly uh, understand that that position. Um, and I guess the easy fix would have just been to use his chosen name, right? So I don't care what you call yourself. Oh, your name's Christina now? Sure. Yeah, let, let's go with that. I think that would have been an easy thing for you and for him to do. And I guess the the question that I ask for people, because most people would do the exact same thing that, that you and Preston did. But I guess the question I would ask is, is it actually loving to play into someone's delusion? So would you, if somebody said that they were a dog, would you, in order to be polite, take them on a walk? You know, there are people that think, I think they're furries or something like that. There are people that think they're furniture. So in order to be polite to somebody, would you go over to their house and sit on them as if they were a chair or a couch? And I guess that's kind of where I put it. Like, I I get it. You don't want to be needlessly um, combative, I guess, or incendiary. And and I understand that as somebody who is who grew up in the South in America, like you want to be polite to somebody, but at the same time, some things are just flat out true. Could Mm -hmm. you not have just said Christina the entire time? Because I don't think that's loving that person by saying, yes, this is definitely something that is, is realistic.
1: Yeah, I, if I, in all honesty, I can't remember exactly how 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 often or, or in what context I I used the pronouns rather than just the name of Christina. It was but, to be
0: fair, it was very it was very sparingly because it just yeah. didn't come up in the normal you yeah. know cadence of the conversation.
1: I wouldn't I naturally wouldn't have to to use he or she, you know, when I'm just directly addressing people anyway. So so I'd have to go back and listen to exactly what what the context was. But no, mm-hmm. I'm sure it did happen, and and to, to that extent, um, I I guess you know I I totally get that, and I understand why why you would take that position. I think different Christians just draw that line differently. And um, for me, you know, yes, I would not sort of be comfortable sort of affirming someone's view that they are a dog or, or a chair or something like that. Um, I think, you know, it because this is just a widely held position and issue in our culture. Uh, and and I'm, I just, I'm just aware that there's lots of people who who do. I I was in this instance happy to just you know go with the flow in that instance. Again, I don't think it's um, you know I you know even when I call someone a- an atheist, you know, I don't think anyone actually is an atheist. You know, if, if I'm perfectly honest, there's a, there's a there's a part <laughs> yeah. of me which where I don't think an a- atheist really exists at, at some level, because I think you know I believe in what it says in Romans that we all actually have the law of God written in our heart and that that actually you know there's there's something there which. Um, but I'm not going to kind of shove that perspective down someone's throat and say, well, I'm refusing to call you an atheist because it feels at that point that I'm, I'm kind of just banging on a particular kind of theological issue. I know that's a bit different to the transgender thing, but, but for me, it's, it's, it's about sort of, yeah, which battle are you going to fight at which moment? And I w- I was rather, I would rather kind of just be able to bring them to the table rather and, and let Preston in the sense who I've invited to be the person to kind of have the discussion with Christina to do the talking and uh, and and I you know I I think the audience knows that the fact that I choose to use the pronouns doesn't necessarily indicate everything about my position on 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 the subject you know
0: Well, I I appreciate that. And the thing is, is you and I definitely disagree on this, but that's fine. That's one of those, those issues that this is not a a salvific issue that you being on one side of the line or the other side of the line, you know, talks about, you know, your, your status with Christ or something like that. But I think for me, it's just whether or not a category is real. So I'm kind of with you. I never really thought about it that way that there's technically no one that is an atheist. It's kind of like spiritual, but not religious. That's not a real category. Like that's not, (laughs) that's not an actual category. That's just something that you said in your Facebook profile to seem nuanced and really, really special. special and intellectual. Um, So we're going to come out of that, which might be a little bit incendiary or uncomfortable for folks, not you. I know you've dealt with this before. So last question of the day, because I've heard you talk about this a lot and you've talked about it on your show. You talked about it in your book, but you mentioned C.S. Lewis. Often, and he has seemingly had a tremendous impact on your personal walk with Christ and your overall worldview. Uh, we have a book list on our website called "The 100 Books Every Modern Christian Man Should Read," and you know the categories are finance or management or apologetics. We have a category called C.S. Lewis. Like he's he's that big of a thinker mm. in this space that I think he warrants his own category, and so. What about his writings, I guess, intrigue you personally so much because you, you could find some, you know, reformed, angry Calvinists that are like, C.S. Lewis <laughs> is a, you know, he's terrible for these 47 reasons. And I have the Greek to back it up. And like, and I understand that there are people that get really uncomfortable with Chronicles of Narnia and, you know, some of the imagery. But why is C.S. Lewis so important to you?
1: Um, I think he first of all he has a fantastic story, so I think it's the fact that his story of going from atheism to Christianity itself uh, segues so well with what he then writes about Christianity and about the the you know his apologetics and his argument for God. So there's a great story behind it, which uh, and and I love as much almost reading about Lewis and his journey and his life as I do the actual books he's written. But I don't know when I was a teenager, you know, I'd fairly new in the faith but having intellectual questions L- lewis was kind of one of the people i was immediately put into contact with and, and he immediately spoke to me and i think it, it's because he had this ability to to, to just make he, he was a master of analogy and example and and he was able to clarify issues so helpfully um particular problems or objections to god you know just in a sentence or two he'd be able to kind of really nail it and and be able to show you why it, you know that's not a problem, or why there there is a good reason to believe that there's a god. Um. So so for me, it was it, it he was just a very compelling writer, a very you know he had that that gift of being able to to use analogy. He was also the it kind of awoke a kind of the the great thing that C S Lewis did was he he put together the intellectual and the imaginative together, and for me that's why I think you know Narnia is such a, a brilliant series of children's books is because it. It not only kind of um, tells you the Christian story, obviously, through Aslan and such, but it makes you want it to be true. It it, it does it by, uh, as Lewis put it, it sneaks past the watchful dragons of our imagination. Mm. Um, it By appealing to our imagination, Lewis actually helps us to see why Christianity is so good. And for me, that's that's been one of the great things about Lewis's writing, not only showing you that it is true but why you would want it to be true so for me it's it's all of those together come to make him still one of the most unparalleled christian thinkers and writers of you know the last uh, 150 years there's there's very few people who come close and and yeah i think he he will continue to hold that that kind of badge for for many years to come
0: Yeah, I think it is an astonishing amount of depth that you get whenever you dig into the writings of C.S. Lewis. There's always something there. Uh, Mere Christianity is just one of those, you know, cornerstone books for a lot of people in the faith, regardless of where you end up, you know, on your Mm -hmm. theological journey or something like that. So I'm glad I got to hear a little bit more of your perspective on that. But Justin, we talked about everything on this podcast, but we're running out of time. And so, and I got to get ready for our interview that we're going to be doing next summer. Okay. So I (laughs) I got to get all my, I got to get all my ducks (laughs) in a row, but that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your
1: chest? Uh, I just want to say thanks for the opportunity for having me on. Um, and yeah, um, we would love love people's input um, as we continue this big conversation series. The bigconversation.show is the place to go if you want to watch the current season four. Uh, but hey, if you've got people you want to see on the show, tell tell me about it, Kyle. And I'd love your listeners to tell me as well. You can always get in touch and tell me what kind of conversations you'd like to see in the future. Well, I'll tell you right now. I wanted,
0: I want my dust up with the writer of Jesus and John Wayne. Damn it. Like I, I'm (laughs) owed that and she needs to stop ducking me, Justin.
1: (laughs) Okay. I'll, I I can't, I can't work miracles, but I can always put another email in and and we'll see what happens.
0: Fair enough. (laughs) Justin Brierley, thank you for coming back on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast.
1: God bless you, Carl. Great to be with you
0: there you go guys I hope you enjoyed the return appearance of Justin Briarley on our show but before we let you go we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual mental and physical resilience so I've got a lot of links for you today I've got a link to the big conversation website I've also got a link to the live event sign up for the Michaela Peterson and John McRae conversation and then a link to Justin Briarley's website a link to the unbelievable show if you're in the UK audience or the American audience I've also got a link to episode 189 when he was on our show back in the day and also a link to his book on Amazon all right guys i Got you completely covered on your Justin Briley stuff. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I N F O at undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song. Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album, Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.